This is the Purpose Church podcast where we exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Glad to see you here this morning. Before we jump into the message, I just want to reiterate something they did say in the announcements that I think it is going to be really, really fun to give the devil a really big black eye by doing baptisms on Halloween. I think that's going to be awesome. So if you've never been baptized before in your adult life, so we, we answer a lot, we want to invite you to do this. And I know a lot of people have questions about that. And so we, we answer a lot of those questions too. And you're like, well, I was baptized as a baby and all of that. I get it. But if you want to be baptized as an adult and make that decision for yourself, do it on Halloween. And you'll never forget the day you were baptized. Just don't wear a costume when we do it because that's weird. So, but we'll baptize you on Halloween. It's going to be a lot of fun. Sign up online. Uh, we'll make sure we get you taken care of. It's going to be great. And so we started a series a couple weeks ago. This is week four of a series called Holy Noticing. Everybody say Holy Noticing. If you missed any of these messages, I highly encourage you to go on YouTube or the podcast stuff and find it and listen to it and get yourself really acclimated with how this has been building. Um, but today's still going to really speak to you, I believe that, wholeheartedly. We, we decided, you know, early on that this was going to be really important to us, especially this sentence. As followers of Jesus, we will either become a mindless people or a mindful people. And when you and I live in a society that is creating mindless people, that we, we become, here's what mindless living looks like. We become people who wait on a news feed or cable news to tell us what to think, believe, and act, and how to act. And every news cycle, it's like truth changes, and what's real changes. And then we have to adjust our behavior based on what someone is telling us is true. That's mindless living. And we live our life based on the values that someone else is telling us is true. And they might be unbiblical values, but that's what someone else told us is true. That's mindless living. Mindful living is living with an approach to life to where your life isn't so busy and so crazy that you can actually stop, slow down, and listen and create a fullness approach in your mind to life. A mindful approach. And some of you might be thinking, well, Landon, when I research mindfulness and whatever, it seems like the Buddhists got the corner of the market on it. Well, it's like, I'm very interested by that too. And I think what's interesting is like they, they latched onto something that God created and found out that it's beneficial to people. And where the Christian church went in the wrong direction was we stopped all of the thinking and the mindfulness and we just focused it on celebration alone. And now hundreds of years later, there's this gap on how we feel every day and how we feel on Sunday. And so we spend six days of our week feeling like liars and then Sunday hoping that it works again. That's not an approach to life that the Bible talks about, and it's definitely not the way God intends you to live. It's a mindless living, letting other people and the waves of society push you around. That's mindless living. For our definition for this series, Holy Noticing, it is noticing with a holy purpose, God and his handiwork, noticing our relationships and noticing the inner world of our thoughts and feelings. And, a, and last week, we really started to dig into this model, what we've called the breathe model. 
and they're going to throw it up on the screen and show you what this really looks like. And this is kind of a framework for how you can spend time with God every day. And at the end of today, I've got something I want to give you and even a website that you can type in, log into that we've created to help you walk this out every day. But this is something that is really important for us to look at and know that it's true. The body, being aware of the state of our body and the, any physical sensations that we're having, did you know that the body is God's number one barometer for what's going on inside of you? But for some reason, we've separated the two. But that's the number one thing we need to be listening to, but we don't. Did you know that most gastrointestinal problems that show up at the doctor's office are stress and emotion related? And, and, and probably Taco Bell doesn't help either, but it's mostly, <laughs> mostly stress. We got to figure out what the root of these things are. We can't just pray away these things. We can't just quote scriptures out of context and hope our life gets better. We got to figure out what the root of these things are. And then we got to look at the health of our relationships. We got to look at the, the root of what's going on in our relationships and be aware of if they're healthy or not healthy. And then today we're going to dig into environment and emotion. So the environment we find ourselves in, taking really good notice and being alert about um, the sights, sounds, smells, everything around us, the environment we've created for ourselves, and then the afflictive emotions or the affect, not affect, affect. Acknowledging how you're currently feeling. An affect is just the conscious emotion that occurs in reaction to a thought or an experience. So it's being aware of what's going on non-judgmentally. So knowing what's happening in your body, knowing what's happening in your emotions without going, if I was a better Christian, then I should be. That's not where we should go with that. We'll talk about it more in a minute. And then our thoughts, being conscious of our current thoughts and, and not just trying to pray them away or, or having to even know in that moment why they're there. God, tell me why, tell me why. But then our heart, it's the spiritual side of it paying attention to the spiritual part of our lives, and then engage is really engaging the world like Christ. What are you doing in your life right now that's making a difference in the life of another person? So we're digging into this model. Today, we're looking into E and A. Last week, we dug into B and R. Today, we're looking at E and A, our environment and our emotions. So we've done this the last couple of weeks, and I feel like it's helpful even for me in, in presenting this to you. Would you put your hand over your heart? I'm gonna pray for us. So just kind of take a deep breath for a second, let things slow down for a minute, and really begin to acknowledge that you're about to receive the truth of the word of God, and that what you're about to hear has the power to change your everyday life. Lord, we open up our hearts and minds to you today. And Lord, would we not just dismiss how we're feeling, but would we submit it to you and learn to let you change it and deal with it and help us process it? But God, in today, for the next couple of minutes, I just ask that our hearts and minds be wide open to you. Come and speak to us, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say amen. amen. <laughs> All right, so E is to notice and engage your environment. Notice it and engage it. Notice it and engage it. But the fact of the matter is, and look what Richard Foster said, distraction is the primary spiritual problem of our day. Distraction is the primary spiritual problem of our day. I don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that, but I thought it was interesting enough to bring to you that, that it's something that, you, that every one of us in this room struggle with distraction. We live in the age of following shiny things, 
and squirrel, squirrel. Well, that's just how we live. And then you get to the end of your day and you're like, I feel like I got nothing done, but I'm exhausted. Maybe you can relate to that. Look what William James says. He says, the faculty of voluntarily bringing back a wandering attention over and over again is the very root of judgment, character, and will. So learning how to have the stamina to bring a wandering attention back over and over again, every human being deals with that. You're not unspiritual because you got to do that. So give yourself some grace there. Distraction by definition is shifting our attention from something of greater importance to something of lesser importance. And so you and I live our lives kind of distracted this way. We live in the age of perpetual distraction. Our culture is full of distractions and it results in something that psychologists are calling continuous partial attention, which is, is keeping a top level item in focus, but constantly scanning the periphery in case something more important emerges. So we, we are living in this age where it's like, okay, let's, since we're in church, let's use faith as an example. Jesus is my king, and I live in his kingdom, and I'm blessed, blessed, blessed. That's, he is awesome. I'm for Jesus. He is for me. Oh, hey, oh, oh, man, that's my life. I'm there. Love you, Jesus. Come on. But it's almost like we're looking past him to see what might be more fun, what might get, what might deserve our attention more. Because at the end of the day, Jesus will always be there, right? So it's like, what, what else is going on? It's like being invited to a birthday party, but then you get invited to something that's more fun for you to go to. But you already told them yes. So now you lie about something to get out of the party so you can go do something more fun. You would never do that because you're all upstanding adults. You would never treat somebody like that, would you? But we live our lives in this state of continuous partial attention. Teens and adults in the United States pick up their phone not even unlock it, but just pick it up every 4.3 minutes just to have it in your hand. Now, if you want to know all of the damning statistics about smartphone use, go listen to the sermon two weeks ago. Um, there were quite a few. Most of them were really funny. Others of you were really sad at the end of the day, but very helpful. As we said a few weeks ago, 62% of us grab our phones the moment we wake up. Before our feet hit the floor, our phone is unlocked. See, our attention is scattered, and that's probably a nice way to say it. Our attention is scattered. We're becoming conditioned to distraction, and it's harming our ability to listen, to, be, to listen carefully and to think carefully. It's harming our ability to be still, to pray, to meditate, and it's leaving us more and more vulnerable to temptations and mindless living. Author Tim Keller was asked why people struggle to connect with God and his number one answer was noise and distraction. On the flip side of that question, it points to the key skill that helps us stay spiritually healthy. And you might be thinking, well, the key to staying spiritually healthy is to read the Bible word for word every year. It's not a bad goal. But how many of you have started the one-year Bible plan, February gets here, and you're barely out of the creation story? all been there. 
I wonder how many of us could, if, if I can just, I'm not trying to convince you of anything today except to maybe open the conversation for you that there might be some issues in your life that are keeping you from God and they might not all be spiritual. So what is going on around us? Here's the way we stay spiritually healthy. It's really distraction management. Can you get rid of all distractions? No, you can't. You can't get, especially in today's age, well, I'm going to go build a cabin in the woods. You're still going to be distracted by your own self, by your own thoughts. You can't get rid of distractions. So what do we do about it? I got a video for you and just watch this video and do what the video says and then we're going to unpack it together. Take a look. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? <laughs> now be honest. Raise your hand, you're in church. God sees everything. How many of you did not see the gorilla? How many of you saw the gorilla and you couldn't keep counting after that because you were so distracted by the gorilla? <laughs> Statistically, now in first service, I'm not gonna lie, in first service, there's a few more people in first service, it was two-thirds of the room did not see the gorilla. Very few people saw the gorilla in first service. And so today, this service is about half and half. So did you know that even in that test, it was a 50-50 split down the middle, the people that saw the gorilla and people that didn't see the gorilla. Now here's what this stands to reason for us. This illustrates how distraction makes us miss what's right in front of us. A lifestyle of holy noticing helps us pay better attention in our relationships, our work, and our spiritual disciplines. Most of us are so focused on getting it right, getting it right, getting it right, getting it right, that we miss what's right in front of us. Now, I heard some of you, when, they, when the guy on the video asked, how many passes did you count? Some of y'all were very, I don't wanna say smugly, but very competently said, 15? Fitting, passes. And you were like, yes, I win better than you. I win at church. I win at life. I am God's favorite, 15 passes. You can be right and completely wrong at the same time. And how many of us hold on to this answer? Well, I got the answers right. Why isn't God moving in my life? I got it right. I did all the things. I went to growth track, went to small group, I come to church, I'm doing all the things right, but there's a gorilla right in the middle of your life because you're focused on doing instead of 
being. You are not human doings. You're human beings. God's favorite creation. Let's look at a story in the Bible where this happened. There was a gorilla. Did you know there's a gorilla in the Bible? Not really, but this kind of happened. When we are regularly distracted by something, we need to take note. Our attention often runs to what's important to us. And let's look and see how that might be true, because distraction can actually reveal what we love. Remember, if we regularly get distracted by some of the same things, it actually might be revealing to us what's important to us. This happened to Jesus' friend Martha in Luke chapter 10. Martha was busy in the kitchen while Jesus was teaching in her home. When Martha complained that her sister Mary wasn't helping do the dishes because she was sitting at Jesus' feet like a lazy bum, Jesus replied, Martha, Martha. I don't think he talks like that, but (laughs) I don't know why I said it that way. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And she's like, you're right, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 15 passes. Amen. Martha's a loser. Mary's a a loser. I, I win. 15 passes. Dishes won't do themselves. And then Jesus says, but sometimes we amen too fast. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That's Jesus' way of saying, you're wrong. But who's going to clean the dishes? Jesus is like, I mean, they'll get done. But you're focused on the wrong thing. Mary was distracted from Jesus by what? By serving her guests. Why? Because she was anxious. Anxious about what? Remember we talked about anxiety lives where? Who remembers? The future. Shame and depression live where? In the past. What are we only in control of? The present. But you and I are living drawn and quartered by being stuck in the trauma of our past, full of shame, and living a lifestyle of depression, faking it in the present on social media for sure, because none of that is true, and then living in anxiety because we're scared to death about what our lives are going to look like later. And we live this life, and then we're trying to fit faith into it somewhere, but we're living in the wrong environments, and we're not dealing with our environment or our afflictive emotions. So we feel stretched and hurt all the time. And then we wonder why our relationships are going down the tubes. And we wonder why we don't have any vision for our future. And we wonder why no one wants to be around us. And we're stuck in this place. Mary was distracted and was, uh, Martha was distracted and anxious. And anxious about what? Probably anxious about feeding everybody. That's okay, right? I mean, you're like, well, she, it's her house. Have you ever been to someone's house for dinner and then they don't offer you anything to drink for like two hours? And you don't want to be rude and be like, hey, you suck at hosting, but I'm thirsty. (laughs) So Martha was actually trying to be helpful. However, being anxious about feeding everybody, in all likelihood she was anxious about what people would think about her and what people would think about her household if she didn't do well. Here's something I want you to realize and really take as truth for your life. God is not nearly as interested in your efficiency as he is in your faith. The Bible does not say in the Beatitudes, blessed are the quick. 
for they shall inherit eternal life and peace. It doesn't say that. Nowhere in the Bible, not one place, does it value efficiency. But what is our Western society, what is the world? I mean, forget Western society. It's everybody now. What do we value? Get the job done, get it done under budget, get it done quicker than you promised, and you can stay with your job. I don't care about your marriage or your family or your health. I mean, we got a business to run. We crucify ourselves and we offer our families up on the altar of progress. And then we have nothing to show for it when we're 70, 80, 90. I wonder if you and I could find some parallels here with us and Martha. Now, she didn't recognize her distraction until Jesus told her. Until Jesus told her and helped her see her heart, she thought she was doing the right thing by serving everybody, but Jesus pointed out to Martha that her values were disordered. She had shifted her attention from the greater importance to the lesser importance. She was distracted. We must ask ourselves, what is the real distraction? What is the real distraction? What does our heart desire? When you're sitting at home at night, laying on your bed, stuck in the black hole of social media for two hours. Why? What am I going there for? What am I getting when I go there? When I I go to Walmart, I'm not going there just to be there. (laughs) I wanna get out as fast as I can. Now, when I go to H-E-B, I meander a little bit more. (laughs) But Walmart is a necessary evil, so I I have to sometimes go there. I don't go there just to hang out with the greeter. (laughs) Just like check on the condition of the barbecue grills they just set out, or the Christmas trees to see if the pre-lits are lit. (laughs) You go there with a purpose, hopefully, or you spend a lot more money than you should. But you and I bring these things into our lives with no purpose. We get on Instagram because that's what everyone's doing. And then there's that, then you're like, oh, there's this thing called TikTok and everyone does these dances or slap a teacher challenge and whatever. It's like, that will help my life. So I'm going to watch it because it'll make me better. I'm an awesome person. You and I feed ourselves trash and we wonder why we're unhealthy. I wonder if you and I could get some better habits. We're like, the devil's involved. I feel like crap. I mean, the devil's against my body. No, he's not. You're having a caffeine crash because you drank five monsters. You just need to eat a banana and drink water. Like, allow your, like, you and I are pushing against the wrong things. And then we wonder why we're not progressing in life. Are y'all still with me? Okay, are you mad at me yet? I don't really care. But, I mean, <laughs> let me help you out a little bit more, all right? We've got to ask ourselves, what's the real distraction? There was a lady, I was following her blog, uh, and she was talking about mindfulness and all that. And she said uh, that they came up with a rule in their household that you cannot use a smartphone while you're sitting down. That you can only use the phone when you're standing up. Now, some of us are old enough to remember when you had corded phones on the wall in the kitchen. And your girlfriend had to call 
talk to your parents first. And if they made it through that filter of hell, then you got to talk to them. But you couldn't go but 10 feet away because the cord was 10 feet long. So they heard everything you said. But you were standing up, so the conversation didn't last that long unless you were really committed and you were like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. You hang up. I wonder, I, I think she said that it really cured their family because no one wants to scroll on Facebook standing up. You don't want to scroll through Instagram standing up. Think about this. Every time you've got sucked into your phone, what were you doing? Sitting down. Every time. And they're like, well, I'm just going to prove you wrong, preacher. I'm going to walk around my neighborhood on the phone. Go ahead, you're working out, so I still win. Body was the number one on the list. God also uses distraction to strengthen our self-control. Now, there are things in the Bible called fruits of the Spirit. Three of them we love, the rest we hate. Prove it to you. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Love it. Love, culture's trying to hijack love. They're trying to redefine love. Love, joy, who doesn't want more joy in their life? Everybody wants more joy in their life. Love, joy, and peace, oh, yes. Paint that on the wall of the entryway to my house. Love, joy, and peace. And God, can we stop there? No, there's six more. Love, joy, peace, patience. <laughs> kindness. I don't want to be kind to people that are not kind to me. Goodness? No. How about some badness? <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and then faithfulness. Those four things do not compute with American culture. Because if you don't completely agree with me, I hate you. I can't love you if you don't completely agree with my ideology that I half cooked up myself, me and cable news. If you don't perfectly agree with me, then you're dead to me. That's today's culture. So definitely love, joy, peace. Yeah, I can, I can peddle that and still feel good about myself as a person. But patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, you want me to be faithful? No, I've got a prenuptial agreement with life. If I don't like it, I'm out. It's all about protecting ourselves. I don't want to be in real relationship with people, so I'm just going like, to tick-tock my way through life and put up this front and never find out who I am. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and then gentleness. No, who wants to be gentle to everyone? Like I saw this lady at HEB yesterday. I had to go to the store twice in an hour because we had forgotten things twice. <laughs> we were having people over for dinner, and I had to run back to HEB. And I don't know if you know, but the HEB in shirts is psycho. <laughs> everyone is there. At the same time, buying the same thing. So I'm in line, and the, they weren't bagging the groceries fast enough, and they were backing up back over the scanner because the cashier just kept going, like a boss. Like she lives and breathes barcodes. She dreams about it. She has a tattoo. I don't know. But she's like. And then the poor gal over here just was like, and then after a while, you just don't care. You're putting pesticides in with milk. You don't care. <laughs> just, 
But the lady that was buying everything was getting aggravated because the barcodes started scanning twice. So they have to go in and void everything. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> and I, just, I was watching it all go down. The cashier handed it like a, handled it like a boss because H-E-B. So she was chill. If we had been at another store. Anyway, but it's like she was at H-E-B. And she was like, ma'am, I am so sorry. We're going to take care of this for you. I know exactly what to do. I voided it all out. My apologies for the delay. And she looked at me and she's like, sir, I'm so sorry for the delay. I was like, hey, I'm enjoying watching you handle this. <laughs> I am fine. But, but what happens if we're not gentle? We've got places to go. Don't you know I'm having people over for dinner? The fact that I forgot everything is your fault. <laughs> and we live these lifestyles of blame, shame, blame, shame, stuck in the past. No peace in the present, no joy for the future. But Jesus wants to use self-control, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, selflessness, uh, self gentleness, self-control. That's the last one. So it's like God left the hardest one for the end. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the one I struggle with the most, self-control. Amazon is not good for my impulsive personality. <laughs> self-control is very difficult. But look at this. Muscles don't grow stronger without pushing against resistance. Neither does self-control. So, if we're not careful, you and I need to remember that we strengthen self-control similar to how we strengthen muscles, and that's through resistance. So there's no getting around the hard work of applying ourselves and figuring out what works best for us. We gotta figure out what works best for us. The other day I was watching Good Morning America because, I don't know, I just needed an extra dose of sadness. <laughs> so I was watching Good Morning America. There's no good morning, it's bad morning America. And I, w I was watching it, and there was this lady turning 107 years old. And of course they go, what's your secret, Betty? Of course she's named Betty. What's your, what's your secret, Betty? And she said, three Dr. Peppers a day. I was like, that woman's a prophet. <laughs> she's got the Holy Ghost all over her. And, and you remember on the Dr. Pepper bottle, it says 10, 2, and 4. So they, they said, hey, drink a Dr. Pepper at 10, 2, and 4. And she said, that's what I've been doing. Now, if you and I drank a Dr. Pepper at 10, 2, and 4, we'd be 900 pounds and in the hospital. <laughs> the same things don't work for everybody. But you and I have accepted social media as if it's good for everybody. No amens to that. Okay, so Landon decided... Who clapped over TJ? <laughs> okay. You, you and I need to decide something. I decided that it was not, that for Landon Kiker, social media cannot be in my life. If I'm going to live a life of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I cannot get stuck in the tyranny of comparison and negativity that is social media but, what, but how am I, what if I miss the announcement about my 20th high school reunion? You hated all those people, remember? <laughs> Do you remember? And so, and then here's what Facebook does. It's so arrogant. Here's what Instagram does, because they're the same demon. So here's what they do. 
I went to delete all my accounts, of which they're all gone now, but here's what they do. They say, a, a, a window pops up, and it says, are you sure? Yeah, of course they need to ask them, what if I accidentally navigated to deactivate? <laughs> so then I hit yes. And then another window pops up and says, Landon, they use my name. Landon, comma, if you do this, you will lose, and then it said how many years I've been on Facebook. I don't know, it was like 14, 15, 16, dumb amount of time. You will lose however many years and days worth of photos, videos, and then it said, and memories. Like they're the men in black. <laughs> so you're sitting there hovering over your little clickers like, do you feel my anxiety even right now? <laughs> but I did it. Click yes. And then here's what else they do. They go, just in case, another window pops up, just in case you didn't mean to do that. We'll keep it here for a month. And if you log back in, the deactivation is made null and void. So they give you four weeks of maybe you should come back into my prison. You're so stuck in it right now, some of you, that you're, uh, you're, you don't even know what's happening in your environment. There are gorillas all around you. You're covered in anxiety, fear, and depression. You're focusing on the wrong things. Just to be honest with you personally, I had to make some pretty significant life choices. Uh, three years ago, I went through a battery of tests and was di diagnosed with undiagnosed adult ADHD. And that would make, explains why I was in the principal's office all the time as a kid. Um, and also why I just had fun and didn't learn a lot. <laughs> so was, but I had to make some pretty serious changes to my life. And I think you need to do some self-inventory. If it's not helping you, but you're like, Landon, I'll get an accountability partner. And we'll Facebook message each other, are you doing okay? <laughs> we have to be careful. We have to be careful. The skill of paying attention and knowing what's going on around you will actually improve your attention to biblical truth. Because you'll see the gorillas and you can bring truth to it. And as, those tr as that truth gets embedded more deeply into your mind, it'll change your behavior. Doesn't it feel good to know that you can get off autopilot? That you, you can, you really can. Now let's move to A very quickly. This one's shorter. Let's move to A very quickly. Label and release. Label and release your afflictive emotions. Label and release your afflictive emotions. Who, who remembers this game when you went to Gaddyland? Anybody remember Mr. Gaddy's? Or maybe you were a Peter Piper pizza person. Whack-a-mole. Everybody loves whack-a-mole. Takes no talent to do it. Just eyeballs and arms. And so you're playing whack-a-mole. And what the point of this game is these moles pop up through these holes. And the goal is to hit them before they go back in their hole. And I was thinking about whack-a-mole when I was writing this message. And I think a lot of us deal with our unpleasant emotions this way. We whack them away by denying, repressing, or ignoring them. Or 
and in my opinion, even worse, we try to manipulate spiritual discipline or spiritually bypass them away. For example, anger pops up. Ugly little mole, right? Anger pops up, and with your soft nerf hammer of justice, you whack it with a prayer. Anger pops up, ah! And, you, and then you're like, man, I feel really good. I feel really good. No anger at all. You ever met someone who's so angry they smile? Those are the ones to look out for. What about worry pops up and then you whack it with an out-of-context scripture? Yes. Worry pops up and you're like, boom, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <sighs> Feel good about yourself, right? Even though it's totally out of context. And then fear pops up and we whack it with a good old, I rebuke you, Satan. Feel good about yourself. Keep in mind, I'm not advocating for not praying or not quoting scripture or not rebuking the devil. However, we gotta learn to use what we have appropriately and making sure we're getting to the root of the anger, the root of the worry, the root of the fear. But you and I use the whack-a-mole method for our emotions and then we use the, we use the Bible or use God as this cosmic vending machine where we recite a verse and the pain should go away, right? No, the Bible never promises that. Did you know not one place in the Bible does it say God will take pain away from you? Not one place. But what do you and I do? God, if you just take this problem away, God, just take this pain away, I will serve you for the rest of my life. I wonder how many of us have stuffed so many things down that we use spiritual tools like a formula or that we've been taught or led to believe that even some of these emotions are actually bad. They're not bad. God created all emotion. And so we have to learn how to live with it and deal with it and learn how these emotions actually are meant by God to help us process things. God didn't create these things to torture you. So we gotta learn how to process it. First, we have to appreciate that God gave us a wide range of emotions. Life without emotion would be dull, like a calculator. For all you CPAs, I'm sorry. It's boring. You know, like all these numbers, and you hit enter. Oh, God, it, it's everything equals zero. <sighs> you feel accomplished by that, and you take that into your emotional life. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Most psychologists agree that these are the eight primary emotions, that these are the eight primaries, fear, anger, sadness, disgust, joy, surprise, trust, and anticipation. Out of all of these are where most of the emotions are springing from, according to them. But we often treat unpleasant emotions like fear, sadness, disgust, and anger as hindrances, and then we try to get rid of them instead of processing them. When we ignore, deny, or suppress, or spiritualize away our afflictive emotions with the whack-a-mole method, we actually strengthen those emotions. We're only putting a lid on them for a little bit. It's like, I call it the Steve Urkel effect. Who remembers Family Matters? Steve Urkel. We're all my 90s babies. <laughs> you just press it all down, and then one day you go crazy and build a time machine and turn into Stefan, and no one recognizes who you are because you're a different person now. You haven't processed any of the pain. I wonder... I wonder if we could actually 
live with processing the unpleasantness and be healthier for that. And then we come back and then we wonder when we deal with these emotions, we come back and wonder why we're such bad Christians. And then we tell ourselves that good Christians shouldn't feel this way. Because we were taught that I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. All you church babies, I know where you are now. And all the people who are new to church are like, glad I missed that. You know, it's... I wonder if you and I, even though you weren't taught this directly, I don't know, if, I, I still have not met anyone who's really taught this directly, but somewhere along the line we believe that once we get saved, if we're feeling anything other than joyful, happy, then there's sin in our lives and something's wrong with us. That's not true because you're still a human being. But we weren't taught how to deal with some of these things. We were just taught to pray them away without a context scripture. And I want to I help us because we live in the land of should. And remember, should is, that's a shame word. So if, for all you parents in the room, if you're like, you should have been, you're shaming your children. It's not helpful to them. They're going to need lots of therapy and you're probably going to have to pay for it. So stop talking like that to your kid. So the word should should not come out of our mouths when we're parenting children. Some of you are like, trigger, 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 like right now. You're like, oh God, oh God. But it's like, it's, it's a shame word. It's depression. It lives in the past, and we should all over ourselves, and then we're angry that we can't progress in the future, living with no peace in the present, and then we blame God for it because we've just over-spiritualized or under-spiritualized what's going on. Here's the uh, here's a formula for emotions according to most psychologists. Emotions equals thoughts plus feelings plus behavioral impulses plus body sensations. Told you I could do math. So here's what it really is. These four things work together. Feelings, behavioral impulses, body sensations, our thoughts, they work together. See these emotions, the four of them act upon each other. And we repeat it, when we repeatedly experience the same negative emotions and we don't proactively respond to them in a healthy way, our brain networks strengthen around these unpleasant emotions and then we are more inclined to default to them. Have you ever met somebody who something really good just happened in the room or something really good just happened to them, and their first response is, well, that's not going to last. Well, well, but, however, we're, pre like we're pre-inclined to negativity as a culture anyway. We're pre-inclined towards cynicism. It's going to take some work to start to see things differently. Our brains are trying to make sense of what we're feeling and it runs through the memory files to try to find a reason for that change of feeling. And it dredges up memories to explain why something happened. Or it creates scenarios as to why something happened. And then the amygdala fires away and magnifies the emotion beyond what is actually happening. Because your brain thinks you're in trouble. We then ruminate and dig dark holes and then we overthink until we're exhausted. So naturally we think remove the emotion, remove the pain. Whack it. Remove the emotion, remove the pain. Our emotional and mental pain then becomes part of how we define ourselves and our worth before God. You, you, you and I, I mean, to use a physical example, like you, let's say you walk up to God and you're like, dear Lord, I love you, I'm here, but I got this hurt ankle. I, I'm 99% yours. Just don't look at the pain. And then we walk through life like this Hurting, and people are like, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Wow. 
when we lie to everybody, walking in pain. You are as sick as your secrets. If you don't deal with the secrets, you're going to stay sick. You've got to deal with it. You have to take personal responsibility for the things that are keeping you sick. Just like you have to take personal responsibility for your budget, just like you have to take personal responsibility for not going to Taco Bell all the time, just like you have to take personal responsibility, listen to this, God forbid, to not go to Chick-fil-A all the time. I know it's Christian chicken, holy bird, I get it. But it's still fried, okay? Let's <laughs> just be honest. And I wonder, I wonder how much freedom you could get if you just started to take responsibility. We whack-a-mole and band-aid our emotions, then we ask God to take away the anxiety without us taking personal responsibility. We're basically asking God to work a miracle. We prove it to you. We're asking God to purge our bodies of cortisol, to turn off our amygdala, to rewire our anxiety circuits, to force our prefrontal cortex online, and then to dump dopamine into our bloodstream all at one time. Might as well ask God to grow an arm back. It's, it's, it's a, it would be a miracle. And, if, and, I would, and wouldn't it be better if we could do that, though? We'd be like, God, please take the anxiety away. <laughs> wouldn't that be better? Doesn't work that way, though, because there's no personal responsibility in that. Then God would become a cosmic Coke machine and not somebody to worship. I wonder if we need to begin to think more responsibly about our emotions, that every answer to prayer does not have to circumvent natural laws for God to have done something. We must learn about holy noticing and mindfulness and practice it intentionally. We must learn to respect God and how he created our brains and how he created our emotions. Holy noticing actually helps to re-sculpt our brain pathways to lower the activity of our brain anxiety centers. We're just trying to help you. Scripture doesn't gloss over this struggle with afflictive emotions. Look at Proverbs 17. A joyful, cheerful heart brings healing to the body and soul, but the one whose heart is crushed struggles with sickness and depression. That's not really like a verse you want to like write in lipstick on your mirror or something like that, but maybe you should put it somewhere. Maybe we should read these verses. Look at Proverbs 15, 13. A warm, smiling face reveals a joy-filled heart, but heartache crushes the spirit and darkens the appearance. Do you see the connection in these verses between our physical body, our emotions, and our spiritual life? They're all connected. Holy noticing helps us get unstuck from the automatic responses of our emotions, such as hopeless thinking, defensiveness, self-condemning thoughts. They can help you maintain equilibrium in seasons of stress. Holy noticing actually helps us label our emotions because here's the truth. If you can't name it, you can't tame it. You got to know what you're feeling. But you and I live in the society of emojis. So usually what we used to type was like, how you feeling? And we would go, meh, M-E-H, meh. But then we were like, that's too much work. I feel meh about typing meh. So I'm going to start using emojis. Like, how you feeling? And then we text back, like, the straight face. Though. <laughs> so now we're trying to, like, have to picture, like, you doing that. <laughs> like, how are they feeling? I don't know. <laughs> but then, like, what if we're sort of half sad? Then we find the emoji that's like. 
It's like that one lip hangs down. And then like what if we're like, you know the one where like there's like tears coming down and then there's just the one with one teardrop? Like we're, we're trying to find, find ways, like we, we have lost the ability as adults to name what we're feeling. So next week we're going to cut and paste and glue things. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that, I promise. But we have, we have become beyond kindergarten into pre-K on how to handle emotions. And we throw tantrums when we don't get what we want. And then eventually someone comes out and saves us from ourselves. And we learn nothing. We have to take personal responsibility. In fact, so, sociologists and psychologists have a name for this. It's, I butchered it in first service, alexthymia, the extreme inability to use words to describe emotions. Well, what are you feeling? Happy, glad, sad, mad? I don't know. What are you feeling? I don't know. Well, you're never going to find out what you're feeling if your life isn't slow enough to sit and think about it and live in the unpleasantness for a moment. But then we just medicate the pain. So let's throw away. As a church, let's bind together and throw away the whole whack-a-mole approach to emotions. And let's learn to grow our self-control and allow ourselves to begin to give attention to what matters most so we can find the gorillas, so we can see the gorilla, name the gorilla, deal with the gorilla, and not be so distracted by all the shiny things. Okay, TJ, come play the mood music. Somebody grab these papers. TJ's going to come up here and make you feel great. No, he's not for rent. But they're going to pass these things out to you. If, if you were not here last week, we got you covered. If you go to thepurposechurch.com slash holy noticing, if you go to that website, they're going to put it on the screen for you, thepurposechurch.com slash holy noticing. If you go there, all of these things are available for download for you, and we'll update it each week. Next week, we're going to end the series with going through T&H. But... This is just a helper for how you can do things in the morning when you're spending time with God. Each page, you set a timer for three minutes, and then just do what the page says. Well, Landon, that sounds contrived. A little difficult to learn how to ride a bike, right? But now you just do it. In the same way, like it was a little like touch and go learning how to drive, but now you just do it. I don't know about you, but I usually don't sit down in the morning covered in joy with worship music on, ready to pour my heart out before God. Usually have to like work to get to a place where I feel like I'm, I'm talking to God. So I'm just encouraging you to use these as a tool just do what it says for a while. And then, just, and then just journal. What are those things you're feeling? Maybe you're feeling, I hate Landon for making me do this. Write it down. Get it out of your brain and write it down. I'm never gonna see it. You're not hurting my feelings. I just want you better. Just think through it. Write down whatever you're feeling on a real piece of paper, not your phone. Make sure your phone is not even in the room with you. What, how am I gonna use a timer? Buy an egg timer. There's ways to fix all of the excuses you're making in your head right now. So I, I think that you and I need to give God a chance. Each page, three minutes a day, we'll give you the next two next week. And you'll learn how to use this breathe model every morning. 
And you'll begin to survey your body, your thoughts, your emotions, your attitude. You'll begin to survey all of that. And each morning you'll have a good grounded place to come from instead of a social media ridden good morning America bathed negativity bath. Give yourself a fighting chance. Give yourself a fighting chance and allow God to speak to you. So I hope you try it. hope you use it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of these amazing people. God, I thank you that you're going to give us courage. And Lord, I just really pray that over every household represented here, over every person, that you would give them courage to do what maybe no one else in their family tree has ever done. To stop, to listen, to breathe, to allow God to speak. Lord, help them look at things objectively and without judgment on themselves. Let them begin to move forward in their faith. Comfort them when they feel like they're hurting. Comfort them when times of anxiety, depression, and shame. Let us learn how to notice you in our everyday, how to wholly notice so we can have peace in our life and joy for the future. Now, if you have your, as you have your head bowed and your eyes closed, I recognize that we do this every service, that maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You can't know true peace in your life unless you know and have accepted the Prince of Peace in your life. And the only way to do that is by making Jesus your Lord and Savior. So today we want to give you that chance. Well, Lenny, what do I do after that? We'll walk you through it. We'll help you. But today starts with the adult decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So everybody just pray this with me. We're all gonna pray out loud together. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me for going my own way and forgive me of my sin. I now make you my Lord and Savior. Give me courage to walk this new life. I declare boldly that I am a Christian. Your word tells me that I'm made brand new. So I declare it, that I'm brand new. Jesus is my Lord and that I'll never be the same. Never, never, never in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Come on, give God praise for that this morning. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.